Welcome to the Atlanta Foodcast. Stories from the people who are making Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. I'm your host, Ben Getz. If you've lived in Atlanta for most of your life or even just a few days, you're more than likely going to, or you already have, walked through the front door of Ford Fry's restaurants. And since 07, JCT has been serving incredible Southern cuisine over on the West Side. The Optimist helped define oysters for Atlanta dining. There's true Tex-Mex from Super Rica, the burger from Marcel, uh, pasta and ping pong at number 246, and many, many more. Suffice to say, this gentleman has helped to define much of what it means to be an eater here in Atlanta. And as his restaurant footprint has grown to many other southern cities, he and his team continue to support local farmers and growers, amazing organizations like Georgia Organics, and much more. And Ford and I caught up at King and Duke in Buckhead for this interview. And his story, if you don't know it, is really awesome. And you're going to learn a ton about him and how his restaurants have all come to be. Anyways, here he is. Um, this is a big table, by the way. It There's usually a considerable amount, like less distance between yeah. me and my guests. That's so. Okay. Um, this is a, yeah, but this is really cool. And then, uh, someone walked me up here and then he just disappeared through the wall. I'm like, Whoa, what's yeah, going on? Yeah, so, yeah. um, but to give everybody the setting, we're sitting here at King and Duke up in Buckhead. Um, and, uh, really cool restaurant. It's been a while since I've been here, but I've yeah. actually never been in this room. It's typically what happens on the podcast. It's like, I'm in a place where I've never been. Yeah. This is the drawing room. Uh, so it's kind of, kind of a little, a little hidden door and a hidden door to the back. And, um, <laughs> so this is kind of what it is. I'd say it's very Mark Twain. It's yeah, very fitting. I hope so. Yeah. yeah very fitting of Mark Twain. So, I mean, there's antlers everywhere and yeah. um, now it's just super cool. But uh, you need no introduction, sir. But Ford Fry, welcome to the Atlanta mm, Foodcast. Thanks for having me. Oh, man. Thanks for being mm-hmm. here. I'd, well, thanks for having me in your in your wonderful restaurant. Um, your, your work uh, throughout now, really a lot of the South and Southeast is um, pretty widespread and you've done... Um, quite a bit to make Atlanta an amazing city to be an eater. That's and good I, to hear. <laughs> you're like, cool. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I've, I've had the pleasure of, of dining in pretty much all of your restaurants, um, in Atlanta. So I haven't yeah. made it over to Texas, yeah. uh, to Houston or anything, but, um, but, uh, we're, we're going to get into a lot of your background and, Great. but before we do that, you're going to receive the inescapable first question that all of my guests receive. So, Tell me about growing up and who cooked for you growing up and what kind of cook was he or she? Oh, that's funny. And I hope uh, my mom doesn't listen to this because I get in trouble <laughs> every time I talk about this. But, you know, my mom was a cook. I mean, she she cooked for us. But this was back in the era. I mean, you think like, um, you know, later 70s, 80s when the whole uh, casseroles and the the – the, all the recipes that were coming out with like using cream of mushroom soup, mixing this with that. And uh, yes. <laughs> that was really, you know, a lot of what I had and I really liked it. I mean, it's, it's some of those things that, that, that right now I'm like, like I'll occasionally go back and make it and I'll try to make it like I'll chefed out and it's like, you know, <laughs> it's not as good. You know what I mean? I need right, that chemical right. in there, you know? Yeah. So, you know, that's really what it was. And, you know, my grandmother, um, was also a pretty good cook and, and, um, she had a housekeeper who, uh, was amazing and she was the, the real cook, you know, that, that everyone tried to take the credit for cause she made a lot of stuff, but that's oh, wow. where I kind of got exposed into the true, you know, Southerny type stuff. Cause otherwise I wasn't really getting that in Texas. Texas is kind of one of those places that 
it's kind of on its own in Texas proud a little bit, but, mm-hmm. Um, so there were certain things that, you know, we didn't have over there. Like I have here, you know, whether it's like the field peas and, um, fried green tomatoes or whatever, you know, all this is the kind of the classic, uh, true Southern stuff. Texas is a little bit set aside, but I got a little bit of that from my grandmother's housekeeper. So, uh, cause she did a lot of cooking. So, um, and that was pretty much it. You know, we traveled a lot and ate out a lot. So that was, uh, that was also good. That's where I really, I would say really my exposure to, good food was because they loved going to nice restaurants so food always was was a part of our travels and just a part of our lives so much nice what kind of eater were you eater oh i ate everything yeah. like there was nothing i would not eat or try i remember you know the, the most difficult one was you know when you're a little kid and eating an oyster and um the way yeah. i got into that i think my dad's friend i remember we were down on the we were sailing somewhere and we stopped off to eat some oysters and these are texas gulf oysters back in the day weren't necessarily the best but right now they're pretty good but <laughs> still pretty big though right yeah pretty big like uh, you know got yeah. a little oil and gas in them you know but um <laughs> flavor for free is yeah. what we call that <laughs> but 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 i remember my dad's friend would pay me he said okay you know because i was playing like i wasn't going to eat an oyster and he paid me like a dollar he said i'll pay a dollar for every oyster you eat and i'm like all right, bring it. <laughs> so <laughs> I took rich. that money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I think I remember two, two memories of eating a, uh, a steamed oyster for the first time growing oh, up. Yeah. Really difficult to get yeah, through. Yeah. And then I was like, rock, forget about it. Like, no way I'll run. <laughs> like I'll run. And then, uh, the first time that I had uh, nigiri, like just sushi, you know, mm-hmm. like it's raw salmon on top of rice with wasabi. Um, it wasn't pretty. I don't no. want. I, I never like to. I never like to. You know, picture how bad that was. Sitting in a restaurant where someone like, you know, places it on a small plate for you, <laughs> and like, watch me try and choke this down. Yeah. But yeah. it's tough as a little kid. Your palate is just everywhere. I think it's a texture yeah. thing too for kids. You know. Yeah. So yeah. But I made my way through it. I'm pretty adventurous. Yeah, I was gonna say once you get older, oysters are just like no you can't get enough of them. Absolutely. So, um, so growing up in Texas. Um, Tell me a little bit of your story of how you got into the culinary world. Like, what was the path for you? You know, I say this all the time, and I said the path of getting into the culinary world, and I think it's for most chefs, not all chefs, um, but most chefs are ADD, probably not great students in school. Um, so, we, you know, we're people who, who, who learn by doing. And so in this, you know, I didn't know this at this time, and this is just all, you know, looking back on all these years and reflecting upon it, but... Um, you know, growing up, uh, restaurants and eating out was, was great for me. I loved it. I always loved being around food. Um, but, but a chef just was not that glamorous, you know, back then it just hadn't, (laughs) it hadn't really, you know, food network hadn't come out and all this. And, um, you know, so, so that wasn't even part of my mind. I thought I was going to be, I said, okay, well maybe I'll be that manager. Cause at that point in time, the front of the house person wore like a suit and it looked real cool and was always pretty right. suave. So I was thinking, you know, maybe that's what I want to do. So, um, so I started off as a bus boy and I was the worst bus boy ever. <laughs> um, I think I got fired because I would hang out, uh, you know, by the dish pit and eat leftover food off people's plates as it came back. Yeah. So they're like, Ford, get out of here. You know yeah. what I mean? So, and then I was a server. I was the worst server ever. So then at that point I'm like, I'm just doomed because I'm a terrible bus boy and a terrible server. How am I going to make it even farther than that? So I go off to college and join a fraternity, uh, still, you know, a lot of cooking, whether it's through hunting or fishing or whatever, I'm liking to cook what I'm killing and stuff. So, um, you know, I enjoyed that. Um, but I wasn't really going to class too much. So my, my, I, I believe it was my dad or my mom said, Hey, 
why don't you go to culinary school? There's where well, they read an article about fast track career uh, in the Wall Street Journal, and in no way is this a fast track career. So that was a big fallacy lie. But um, <laughs> I said, okay, well that may be okay. Let me, you know, maybe that maybe that's what I should do because I saw my school was in Vermont, and I saw snow skiing. I'm like, yeah, I could go to that school, you know? So, so I went there and it just clicked at that point and I loved it. Um, I probably went from the worst student, uh, in the world to maybe the best student, I guess, in school. So, uh, it was pretty easy for me and, and, um, but it was it. So I think that that's how I got in. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting. You know, it's, it's, it's funny too, you know, that, uh, you grow up in Texas and then you make your way all the way to the Northeast part of the United States, uh, for someone growing up, I grew up in Florida. So I actually went to school in Southwestern Virginia, lots of snow, lots of mountains. I didn't even have a winter coat when I showed up. (laughs) Everyone's like, where's your jacket? We're going, you know, snow tubing or whatever. It's like, this is it. And it was like Mm -hmm. a hoodie from like J crew or something. Mm -hmm. So um, but you know, spending some time in, in Texas and then making your way to culinary school, uh, you eventually make your way to Atlanta via the corporate circuit of, yeah. of cooking. Yeah. So tell me about that. Ooh, that was interesting. You know, it, you know, I'd worked in a lot of fine dining. I worked around from Aspen to Santa Barbara, um, actually down in Florida. And, uh, at that point in time, we, my first son was one and I got recruited to open this place called Eatsies as the chef. And it's a big operation and I, I didn't know really much about it, but, you know, I looked at it as a, you know, going into it as a, you know, it, this could be a good, um, a good sidestep for me for a uh, family, you know, maybe a, like a better job. You know, my wife wasn't working. She was staying home with our son and, and, um, so I thought, well, let me, let me try this and then see how that goes. And I remember like one month in, I'm, you know, putting food in like plastic containers and all that. I'm like, Ford, what are you doing? You know? So, <laughs> so I really questioned it within the first two months. And then I said, you know what? I committed to it. So I'm going to stick to it. So I stuck to it and, you know, eventually, you know, really learned a lot about running a business. Um, cause it was a tough, it was a very high volume. Uh, I learned a lot about managing people, learned a lot about, um, what, you know, consumers and guests really like to eat. And, um, so it was really a great experience for me as far as learning and preparing myself for, uh, opening a restaurant, opening a restaurant was just pretty much pretty easy after running something like that. So, um, I was, you know, happy about that. Looking back upon it, it was a long term, it was a long time and I still have nightmares of being recruited back. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I'm gonna kill myself. But, um, um, but it was good. You know, at the end of the day, it was something that, that that's, so that's what really got me here. And then at that one point, and then I just kind of got to that point where like, you know, I think my time is done and I left and I think they closed about a year after or something oh, that wow. really, I, I wouldn't say it was, it wasn't because I left or anything. Cause I had already been kind of in a corporate role and did more R and D work and a lot of travel. So, so I did have like the last two years of working there, a lot of, a lot of time to work on business plans and, uh, you know, ideas of restaurants and so forth. So, um, that's what got me here. Yeah. And what year did you move to Atlanta? I think it was like 97. Gotcha. Somewhere in there. Yeah. So that would have been like really kind of like on the rise of like Atlanta, like really more establishing, you know, Southeastern dominance. I mean, outside of just the airport, Yeah. you know, it's really like rise of community and expansion and right after the Olympics, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, I'd say Atlanta was still, 
you know, real Buckhead life heavy was, right. you know, was, yeah. you know, the, you know, going to Blue Point or going to the fish market or something right. was, you know, just always really, you know, cool experiences and, and yeah. big high volume restaurants and everyone was going to Buckhead to eat, you know, and then over time, I'd say starting in the 2000s, like 2000, I don't know, 2005 or 2004 or something like that. I remember, um, uh, like one Midtown kitchen opened and mm. it was like, you know, it was off the beaten path. It was super cool going into the restaurant. They were certain like they had a burger on the menu or it was just, it was very approachable, but it was really cool, but it wasn't in like the heart of Buckhead. And it was, yeah. you know, and I think they, that, that at that point in time, kind of, I felt like they kind of made the mark of like people are starting to go to neighborhoods. So, I mean, yeah. it's really changed since then and everyone goes to neighborhoods now. Totally sitting with, um, Man, sitting with Pano from yeah. Kima and Buckhead Life, yeah. uh, sitting with Tom Murphy from Murphy's, and then the entire team from Fifth Group, and talking about like, like take me back to you know late '90s of starting, you know, like kind of the 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 scale of your restaurants and watching Atlanta evolve, and it wasn't just about. You know, dining wasn't defined by a steak, a baked potato, and like mac and cheese on, mm-hmm. a, on a really nice plate, linens, and you know, you've got a <laughs> server like a maitre d. Um, you know, what was like the evolution like? And everybody has a really interesting perspective of how Atlanta has kind of carried this, you know, culinary food dining as a main source of entertainment renaissance that's still very much going on today. Yeah, you know, it's really it's really interesting to hear everyone's perspectives. Yeah. Um, and just like, you know, how, how Southern cuisine, like yeah. it's, it's more about the, the verdant, uh, state of Georgia being more agriculture forward than yeah. it is just being rib sticking yeah. food, you know, oh, that, for sure. You know, less yeah. about indulgence. Oh, yeah. So, um, so let's fast forward to Oh seven. Yeah. And, um, I want to talk a little bit about your restaurants, but before we get into that, talk to me about some of the, just the inspirations, like either from your past or, you know, some of your, some of your other positions throughout your career, but I mean, you know, Tex-Mex, Southern mm-hmm. cuisine, Italian, I mean, oysters, obviously, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's mm-hmm. one of them, you know, everybody's probably had oysters at the optimist, you know, and, um, but, you know, talk to me about some of your inspirations, either from your past or just, you know, aspirationally. Yeah, it's funny because because when I think back upon it and look at all the different restaurants, I can equate each restaurant to a, like a childhood memory of something, uh, yeah. you know, that that I just wanted to recreate. Uh, so there's a lot of cooking from memory and, and, and passion. Um, I think, um, you know, um, as far as Atlanta and, and where it's where it's come, it's interesting. I think uh, there was a period of time where I remember um, – traveling to New York to do a, a dinner at the Beard House and I was with uh, you know some of the Atlanta I mean I had uh, Hugh Atchison was also was doing a dinner um uh Linton Hopkins was doing you know doing a course I was doing a course and we had a couple other chefs for doing a course and and w- you know just hanging out in New York you know kind of was one thing that we were eating and we we all kept saying I wish Atlanta had this I wish Atlanta had that so what I started noticing and like and say in the you know the mid to later 2000s was people were not necessarily a little bit getting away from the, just the classic Southern stuff. Um, but we are gravitating towards, um, definite local and, you know, using farmers and using the ingredients of the South, you know, and what everything is around us, but doing it in a more creative way, more of a global way where, um, you know, restaurant, like for me, I mean, I always looked at restaurants that, that I just didn't think Atlanta had. So let's, let's take the optimist. Whereas like, you know, at the time before the optimist, you know, there was, 
some corporate uh, seafood restaurants, and then there was uh, maybe Fontaine's or something like that in the Highlands or something like that. Yeah. And, and, and otherwise, there wasn't pl- any place to get oysters. And then, uh, you know, I'm not saying I brought oysters to Atlanta by any means, but it just blew up, and it's like everyone is doing oysters, and it was just kind of this whole seafood movement. But I think it really spoke to the point that Atlanta was just really missing that. And this is one of the, 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 the discussions I remember I had with uh, Linton Hopkins. It's like someone... You know, we said someone needs to do this in Atlanta. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it, <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> yeah. and it really struck a chord in Atlanta, I think, where it was like, it was, you know, everyone was really missing that casual, where that casual yet really high quality um, offering. So that was, that was an incident of, of what does Atlanta need? And that's how every restaurant that I've uh, opened has started from, mm-hmm. you know, let's take Super Rica. I mean, Super Rica was, it's just food I grew up eating, like, four times a week it was just normal food and i really couldn't find you know much of that in atlanta so me and kevin maxi who's also from texas we're like well let's just do this once crock street market came as an option i think this is a perfect neighborhood that would i think really embrace that and would really like it and we can get really passionate about cooking that food so everything kind of goes like that whether it's so it's so it's something i grew up eating or something that i feel like atlanta or the neighborhoods of atlanta really need and we also have to be passionate about cooking that type of food. So that's kind of how it is. Yeah. It's interesting that, you know, that's, um, that's such an interesting perspective is like, what does Atlanta need? And, um, I think for, for, you know, just my, my experience and a lot of other people I've either dined with or they've visited Atlanta, they've never had a true dining experience. There have been, there've been moments where someone is, I've, I've taken people to JCT or the optimist or super Rica or, um, Gosh, where else? Uh, St. Cecilia a mm-hmm. while ago, like probably right after the restaurant opened. And that was a defining moment for them to actually eat something that they had not before bone marrow or oysters mm-hmm. or even something like, you know, t- someone's never had a like, um, you know, really good slow roasted pork on a corn tortilla. It sounds so simple, mm-hmm. but the flavors are just so dynamic. And but someone's never had that just where someone's taken the time to properly introduce someone to this is how we ate it and yeah. you know this is how people probably like to eat in yeah. atlanta they just don't know it yet yeah yeah it's really interesting so, yeah so, you know um, we think about that i mean i that you know you look at i remember the day where pork belly was like was a really hard sell it's like right. what is it and no one knows what it is yeah you know and you had to explain to everybody well it's really kind of bacon you know before it gets smoked so um i remember doing that and uh but over time now pork belly is like it's just kind of normal. Yeah, just you normal. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I know no one has to be scared of it anymore. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit more about your restaurants. You know, and I know that you you got to the point where you you opened JCT in 2007. Yeah. So what what was that? I mean, like, kind of take me back there. What was that like back in 07, opening over on the west side? Wow. Well, you know, you know, a lot of people say, "Oh, wow, you you." really lit up the west side or paved the way on the west side and i'm like oh no 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 absolutely i didn't i said annie uh was over there annie had moved from buckhead and put um bacchanalia over there in star provisions and uh taqueria del sol was already over there um and already starting to you know gather lines out the door so i noticed that people um went to the west side it was like and the accessibility of the west side was really interesting to me because people could come down north side or Hal mill from buckhead they could come across from midtown through uh, you know 14th street 10th street and 
you know, soon to be 17th street and then also Marietta street or, you know, through, through downtown. So I looked at it and saw that, you know, not to mention Smyrna coming through the backside of the West side. Exactly. So so there's so, so the accessibility, we did all this, like, um, you know, our investor, you know, wanted us to do all this market research as far as, uh, you know, location and wanted to find locations in it. You know, in the market research said the best location was just straight up and down Peachtree Road, starting from Buckhead coming all the way down. And I'm like, I don't buy that, you know? And then there were secondary locations and then there was, you know, third tier locations and the West side was a third tier location on hmm. this on this market study. I'm like, I'm not feeling that. So JCT went into a restaurant that had 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 originally opened up called Commune, and Commune was 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 from New York. And what happened was, um, I remember when they opened, they were really busy. And uh, what had happened? Something something to do with the you know 2011, um, really not 2011, um, 9/11, 9/11, um, yeah. where. You know, the the chef uh, owner of Commune in New York really backed out of the deal and kind of left Commune to uh, his partner who came from Coke and whatever and wasn't a chef to really run and try to operate this restaurant. And it was just a real, I think it was a struggle for them, but I knew they were busy because it was around the backside. And everyone told me, oh, that's a cursed location. People don't know where it is. I'm like, no, that's that can't be right because Commune was busy. Uh, they just had trouble executing because of the situation. And... Um, so I kind of, I kind of believed in it. I believed in the West Side, and I think Annie had really set the tone for quality over there. And Michael Phillips, who's also you know a developer over there, who, who really was you know key in that whole area of choosing who who was going to be in that area. And over time, the West Side's totally grown. But JCT was like, I uh, I didn't know. Uh, number one, going into finding a location, I kind of got to a point, I looked for like two years to find a specific, I was really thinking about doing like a taqueria or something like that and Mm -hmm. was looking for a location that had a specific square footage and a specific, you know, parking and patio and all this stuff. And it just wasn't working. So I kind of had the new thought of like, well, let, let me just find a location that I think is great and cool. And then let's, you know, what am I passionate about cooking and what does that neighborhood need and what does that location really speak to? What is it? What does it really want to be? So when I saw that location and in the upstairs bar and the big patio around the bar upstairs, I'm, I just envisioned this like, OK, wait a minute. I don't necessarily want to be a hardcore southern restaurant, but I want to use, uh, you know, ingredients from local farms and all this and just cre- create kind of that everyday bistro menu if that makes sense but totally. using you know southern you know ingredients and playing off of classic southern dishes like yeah like chicken and dumplings i mean we weren't making classic chicken and dumplings we were you know cooking chicken and duck fat and making like ricotta or sheep's milk ricotta dumplings and um you know so so it was really big flavors and all that and and then the upstairs bar with all the live music and yeah you know looking over the skyline and all that i mean that was the vision and it was cool that it just it just kind of you know I remember we first opened and the first you know couple months it took about two months for the AJC to get there which was nice um, to <laughs> in one that. way um, <laughs> to uh, review it uh, and we got like a four star review and really at that point it just then all of a sudden and this was back when um, people actually you know really put a lot of credit in reviews where yeah, they yeah. don't really do so much of that anymore but um, and it just took off at that point and. Um, but then we hit the recession and so I was a little nervous and my, my partner was a little bit nervous thinking that, okay, well we need a 
button down the hatches or whatever, make sure we don't, you know, uh, crash and burn here. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I just didn't ever stopped with all the experiences and all the live music. I wasn't trying to cut costs or anything like that. I just said, you know what, let's just do what we do and let's, let's do it as good as we can. And, you know, we never, our sales just kept going up like 20% every year wow. and it just kind of blew, you know, our partners away and they were like, okay, let's, you know, so it took about five years to kind of earn that trust or, or work out the fear of, of recession and all that and prove that, you know, we kind of understand what's going on. And then it just was just a big blow up of wanting to open more restaurants and find other chefs that, that, you know, I could put in the helm and, and let them, let it be their baby. So totally, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, hearing the perspective of West side and convergence of traffic, you know, 14th street, 17th yeah. street, Marietta coming from downtown, from Smyrna, from all the way on the East side, like shoot down 10th street past tech. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's a very interesting convergence of, of neighborhood and traffic and feels completely different than the east side of town. You know, so sitting with Annie, sitting with Steven Satterfield, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and then thinking of, you know, Eddie Hernandez right around the corner, you know, Steven had a really interesting perspective, kind of similar, you know, of like, this is a really interesting dead end of, you know, major surface streets, but it's actually easier to traverse than a lot of other parts of town, easier to, to traverse than like Decatur, so to speak, or, yeah. you know, even parts of Old Fourth Ward, Inman Park, you know, where really cool places it would be great for a restaurant but you know the the strategy and like how people got there it wasn't just widely known so it, yeah. it was interesting i think other people saw that too you know to go against market research you know it's yeah um it is really cool and i, I think it's um it's still just a really cool spot it was actually just over on the west side and um it still just has that vibe it still has a vibe of just you know this is a yeah. I, I always tell people like we're going to take you to a really cool place and it's a really cool restaurant like there's just no better way to describe it yeah. you know and um still one of the biggest memories to me is like i think it had been years since i had had uh deviled eggs and then <laughs> i had them at jct and i was like mm -hmm. all right cool i'm digging this now <laughs> like someone's doing it right so um yeah. but no it's a that's a really cool story with with jct and then you know going down the going down the list of the rest of you know four or five restaurants man like you know, two, four, six, I mean, now little Ray optimist, uh, you know, beetle cat, Marcel, St. Cecilia here, here at King and Duke, you know, one of the biggest things that I wanted to hear from you and just from, you know, dining in a lot of these restaurants and kind of picking up the thematics is everything is inspired by like either a theme, a person, a story, literature. <laughs> um, it's, it's kind of an amalgam of things. So talk yeah. to me about that. You know, like, naming a restaurant everyone says what's the hardest part of us uh, opening a restaurant and i said naming the restaurant is the, mm. is the hardest part and i've learned the hard way um of not sharing the names that i'm thinking about you know so it's totally like naming a, a child um, where you don't want to tell other than your spouse you know what names you're thinking of because they're going to give you some sort of reference of why it's not a good name. And it happens all the time. And, you know, I, I went through these periods of like coming up with a name. I'm like, okay, I've got a fantastic name. I'm going to tell my partner. And then I tell my partner and then I just get silence. I'm just like, wait a minute. He doesn't like it. How does he not like this name? You know? Mm -hmm. So, um, so now I just, you know, it's me and Alvin who is from Office of Brothers who does all our graphic stuff. Um, it's he and I and he and I only. I, I mean, I really don't even tell my wife, you know, because I don't I don't want to hear any kind of thing, you know. So so what what's happened was, you know, ha being able to come up with names, you know, it's a little bit different. You know, always go into like old literature is kind of fun. Um, it's kind of something a little bit different. You know, I always wanted to be a little bit more creative with the naming, a little bit more obscure and 
like I, you know, I love saying when someone says to me, well, what does this name mean? I, I love saying absolutely nothing. You know, it has nothing to do with <laughs> anything. People, you know how many what people mean? ask you that about All Super the time. Rica? They're like, what is that? What was that like a, a brand of soda in yeah, Texas yeah, or exactly, something? I've, I've, exactly. A lot of people have asked me. I was like, I have no idea. And complete honesty, I, I pronounce it completely different. I too, I tell people all the time, it's, oh, it's Superica. No, you know, cause, no. yeah. cause I'm from Florida. So like yeah. <laughs> everything that I would read would have like the, you know, the Spanish inflection, but Superica, you know, it's, that's actually way cooler. Well, I think it's way more punk rock. Well, let's say Superica and uh beetle cat were both, um, um, made up words. Uh, well actually two words put together into one, like, so Superica is super rich or very rich or very tasty. Um, but I thought it flowed better by tying it together and just making a word. Um, and then uh, Beetle Cat was, you know, meant to be like a little sister to the Optimus. And the Optimist and Optimus is a type of boat. So I'm thinking, okay, well, let me start with a type of boat and let's, what, what region of the country? And I was looking, you know, Beetle Cat was trying to be a little bit more northeastern coast so i'm looking up jfk what kind of boat did jfk you know sail or learn on and um and he learned on a beetle cat which was it was two words beetle cat you know so i just kind of put them together so i like that (laughs) that's about it yeah i i would love to receive that answer like if i didn't know that and i approached you at one of your restaurants Mm -hmm. or just on the street like hey man like what's the what's the story with superica you're like nothing yeah, like exactly that was amazing yeah. and then you just walk away into yeah. the, you know just into the <laughs> yeah. darkness i'm yeah. like what a great story to tell but i like yeah. that i think it's super cool but it is it is really fun i mean even just uh you know uh, two days ago just walking by marcel you know and um the just you know reading enough about like the inspiration the, you know that you can even just glean from like you know one yep. of the restaurant websites like it is cool i think it sets you up for a different expectation you know like, here at king and duke you go down to the line i mean it is just like it's a lot to, to take in. I mean, yeah. there's just fire everywhere. And, um, but the setting, especially I, I think it, the setting with dining is something that I, I tried to tell people very little about. It's like, I'm not going to tell you anything about where we're going. I'm just telling you the kind of food that we're going to eat. And then they're really blown away. Like everything is either just, you know, crazy scale or very different. Mm. And they're very much like studying things. And mm-hmm. you don't, you don't always get that at restaurants, you yeah. know, the world over or even here in Atlanta, but um, it is cool. I like that yeah. there's a story, you know, or, you know, there's no, there's no story at all behind the name. It's just something made <laughs> yeah. up, which is super yeah. cool. Um, but the rest of, or the, the remaining, you know, part of, of your restaurants, you know, El Felix, you know, and, and Super Rica, there's, there's something that's really interesting there. It's like, you've actually expanded a few of those, like to other parts of the city and also other states. Mm-hmm. How's that been? Pretty good so far. I mean, going, you know, definitely doing a Super Rica in uh, Charlotte was just fantastic. I mean, Charlotte uh, just, they knew it was coming and just embraced it from like yeah. day one. Texas is a whole nother story. Um, we, you know, we, where you have a Tex-Mex restaurant on every corner. So, mm-hmm. but it, it's doing well. It's a little smaller than the ones here. So, cause we don't want to go too big because uh, of so much Tex-Mex there. Um, but, uh, it's interesting now we have Nashville is about to open. So, yeah. and I'm hearing kind of the same vibe that I heard in, in Charlotte pre-opening. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's not, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, with casual food, you know, it's not that it's been a big change and a big learning curve, uh, for us a little bit is, is like, um, people, when you have more approachable price points in food and, and, and you give them options that they can go with their kids and hang out, you know, more often, 
uh, they tend to be a little happier, you know, and, um, and then a lot more people tend to come out, you know, so you do a lot more people, um, which is interesting at a lower, at a lower cost, you know, lower check. So it's like, it, it's in, on some hands, it feels, feels a little bit, uh, more difficult, uh, yeah. until you kind of figure it out and, you know, and you come up for air, you know, and you're like, wow, that was very hard. Then we got to figure yeah. out how to make this not so hard, you know, especially with little Ray that just opened up. Yeah. which is super casual and that's our first like countertop or guest you know uh, walk-up service yeah. you know feather in your cap man that is mm-hmm. it. i loved it like i walked in i was like i know exactly how this works like this is so great like yeah. cool paying here's my ticket i'm gonna walk outside because i know my kids are gonna want to sit on the patio and then i love that someone just leans over to the microphone kind of like uh yeah. i mean i don't know it just kind of in no way is it similar, but kind of like at the varsity, it's like super loud. Like people are just yelling at you that your food's ready, yeah, you know, yeah. but someone's like leaning over to the microphone, like Ben, your food, or they actually said it by, by menu name, like menu, menu item name and your chips are ready. Yeah. Like your, whatever, your queso is ready or mm-hmm. like your, <laughs> whatever it was like, I just thought that was super cool. So your six tacos are ready. Why are you eating so much? Yeah. No, 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 they're not that bad. <laughs> I hope you have friends with you. Yeah. This is, you're a disgrace. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, it's, it is, it is really awesome to, to see how much, um, you know, how much variety, how much difference, how much, you know, just the approaches to dining there are throughout, you know, the whole, you know, Ford Fry restaurant lineup, you know, there's, there's a lot there's, and we've, I think we've been just about everywhere, you know, even going to the El Felix, like very, very familiar after eating at Super Rico over the years, you know, and, um, I was like, we got this, this is no problem. So it's, um, it's really cool. And then I know you have a a few other restaurants in in Houston as well. So Lucha and then state of grace. Yeah. Yeah. So, any of those coming to Atlanta? You don't have to answer that. I mean, I want to do everything. And the one I hear, I do hear people from Atlanta say, and they, they reach out to me on Instagram, um, and they're saying stuff like, uh, you know, bring this to Atlanta, bring this, bring State of Grace to Atlanta, bring the desserts from, uh, you know, La Lucha to Atlanta or whatever. And um, I'm like, I'd love to, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I don't know, you know, so... I, I got to a one point where like, you know, when you start hearing critics and you start hearing haters on like, uh, you know, online saying, slow down, you just need to, I'm just like, okay, please. You know what I mean? So, but it's fun. I mean, I think we haven't done so much in Atlanta. Little Ray was something that we just did and hadn't done something for a few years here. So, um, I'd love to do more, you know, but that's just me. I just always want to do a lot of stuff because, yeah, you know, usually because it helps, you know, we can, we can promote our people and we can promote yeah. our people up to higher and it just makes their family life better. And it's just providing, uh, you know, you know, a better lifestyle for them by being able to take care of them and, and, and show them growth and yeah. they keep moving forward. So, yeah. And you know, the, that's, that's one of the other points I just wanted to mention is, you know, like with your restaurants, you've, you've created so much opportunity for people to move from one place to another, from, you know, one restaurant to another, be promoted from, you know, Sue up to exec or, yeah. you know, even move like, I mean, Adam in Birmingham you yeah. know, with automatic, you know, yeah. with being with you and then getting to open, I mean, that's kind of the dream, you know, for a lot of people. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, just in terms of creating opportunity for people in the industry, like people who are food workers, like yeah. there's, there's a lot of, you know, start here and then move here or, you know, lateral somewhere else or, you know, there's, there's a lot there. So yeah. it's, um, it's cool to, to see a lot of that footprint. A lot, <laughs> a lot of people talk about the, uh, Atlanta family tree of restaurant people or yeah. restaurants. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's wide and deep. 
It's, yeah. It's well, I mean, I, I, you know, this is what we set out to do. I mean, I, I, I you know, a lot of, a lot of times, uh, restaurant owners and people, chefs, and they, they get mad when they train someone and then they leave. And I'm like, no, this is, this is our responsibility. It's our responsibility to train them. And like I tell chefs coming in, I said, Hey, my goal with you is to teach you how to truly run a restaurant. So, so it's a little bit rigorous, you know, they, they, they have to know the financials, they have to know the marketing side, they have to know the food side. Um, they have to do thing and they're like, well, I just want to cook. I'm like, you know what? I, I promised you that I was going to teach you how to operate your own restaurant. So I know you just want to cook, but there's so much more to it. And, uh, people say like someone sent me, there was, there's, there's a magazine that's out and right now, and there's, I don't know, maybe seven or so chefs on the cover and four of them were from from our restaurants and they say you know how do you feel about this i'm like i feel great about this you know what i mean i think i i I can never be i can be you know not you know i'm so proud of every single one of them and adam wasn't even part of them that's another that's a fifth one so i love it that that we've achieved that you know and and they can call me anytime they can you know say hey and they do they call me and they say uh Hey, how do you handle this? How do you do this? I'm like, this is what you got to do. Call this person, whatever. Cause pe- you know, uh, people did that for me. So, I mean, I think that that's, that's what it's all about. Yeah. So that's really cool. Um, another really cool thing that's, uh, relatively recent for you. Cause I mean, I saw it all, all over the place at little Ray. Talk to me about your cookbook. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. 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 See, you know, the, you know, I thought about it, you know, we were, uh, talking, wanted to do a cookbook, you know, cause it was just kind of like, okay, that's the thing to do. I have to have a cookbook cause I, cause I keep, you know, going to these events and talking and they're like, yeah, have Ford bring his cookbook. And I'm like, oh, I don't have a cookbook. <laughs> Can I bring um, someone else's cookbook? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so I was thinking, you know, there's been such a wave of awesome cookbooks and chef driven cookbooks. I started thinking like, all right, I got to just stick to what I do again is, is like, how can I be different and what does the cookbook world really need? And what am I passionate about? So I thought, you know what? I love Tex-Mex. I love the history of Tex-Mex. I, I would love to be able to talk about that. This is a true cuisine. It's not a, it's not cheap Mexican. So that was really the goal is really to get that book out and then to provide all these recipes for salsas and make it easy for people to actually truly cook from where there's, you know, I love cookbooks cause I can cook for them, cook from them. I usually don't read the recipe, but I, you know, look at the picture and see what ingredients they're putting together. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's great. I can do this. But you know, most home cooks, you know, struggle with that kind of thing. So I thought, Tex-Mex that's let's do it you know and then there weren't many Tex-Mex books out there that were done in like a chef format with you know a bunch of great colored pictures and uh history and story and margaritas and just fun you know chips and guacamole and tortillas and all this kind of stuff so I thought well let's do that so that was it no no it's it's cool too and you know that that kind of ties into another thing that I, that I've really loved about so much of your work is, is working with farmers, you know, and really getting that. And and so much of, of Tex-Mex, you know, it it really is, um, it's, it's not just like the sum of its parts, but you know, the, a lot of the flavor really comes from, I mean, amazing fresh tomatoes, like cilantro, like really bright, like bright, vibrant, you know, produce. And, um, and I think that's, that's all over your book, but it's also the way that you run restaurants is yeah. so much of it is really driven by people who are working hard to grow something and then rest it from the earth and then bring it to you at a restaurant yeah. and then yeah. turn it into a dish. That yeah. that's, that's a major selling point of your restaurants. But 
um, also a huge point of passion for you. I mean, yeah. you know, like a lot of your work with George Organics, like, I mean, I, I see that probably just as much as yeah. I see things like your cookbook or news about one of your restaurants. Yeah. That's you know, a huge, it's a huge part of how you run your business. Talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, to me, it gets back to that, um, truly understanding how to run a business and teaching a chef how to run a business. I had one chef who was working for another company and, I was doing a dinner with him, like a charity dinner. I'm like, Hey, how's it going? You know? And he's like, you know, you caught me on a bad day. Cause I was told I couldn't buy from any of, of farmers anymore. It's too expensive. And I'm like, really? I said, I think we just let somebody go because they weren't buying from local farmers. Cause they were kept refusing to buy hmm. from local farmers because they wanted to make their costs look better. Um, so, so, you know, my philosophy was, you have to buy from local farmers because that's better quality ingredients. It ha, you know, really, it's not necessarily so much about you know doing the right thing for the community. It's doing the right thing for the taste of the food because it's just so much better. Um, so I wasn't. I'm not prepared to sacrifice quality and taste of food and freshness of food. You know, for you to make your numbers, you got to figure out. We got to figure out how to make your numbers by buying from local farmers and. You know, once you meet the farmer and you see, I mean, you know, they just come in the back door and you say, what do you got? Okay, we'll take it all, you know? And it, it, it mm. reduces the amount of stops that they have to make. I mean, these guys have to plant and, and pick and then deliver and then try to drum up more business. And the more I can buy from them, that's the least, you know, least they don't, they don't have to stop anywhere else. I can just take it all, you yeah. know, and incorporate it in the menus. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's, um, it's really interesting too, to see, you know, there's a there's a lot of people out there, you know, even here in Atlanta, who are trying to uh, create less stops for the farmer. You know, it's yeah. it's like, do if if we're staying in our restaurants, we're gonna try and keep you on the farm as much as as we can. Yeah, you know, like yeah. how can how can we automate or how can we work with you to create you know better systems? And um, I, it's interesting because you know for so long people were so hell bent on this idea of farm to table, which is like kind of this <laughs> hollow word now or this yeah. hollow phrase. Like yeah. it doesn't really mean much anymore. People yeah. are just, it's, it's kind of like the cronut. It's just, you know, become a part of yeah. being whatever. Yeah. Um, but now it's, it's really becoming more of like, okay, what are the practical or what, what's the practicality behind this? And, um, it, it is really cool to see that there's now, I think probably more, uh, heightened awareness of how, um, of how a restaurant, you know, as an entity works with a, farm or farmer as a business woman or a businessman and their farm as an entity. And like, how, how does that really come to be? And, um, it is great to see, you know, really great organizations like, you know, Foodwell Alliance, you know, teaching mm -hmm. people about urban agriculture. You know, I, I had no idea that there were so many local farms and systems here within the city limits, like the five counties that make up Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Um, and then like an organization like George organics, so much about education, how farmer, does their work and how it makes its way into local economy, food economy. Um, and, you know, speaking of that, I mean, um, attack of the killer tomato. You saw this coming. You're like, I know that's what he's getting to. Like, goodness yeah. gracious, he's going to talk to me about the festival. So, um, but attack of the killer tomato festival is, um, it's, I mean, it's a killer event. It's super fun. I mean, um, I've been to both like West side and then, uh, the one year, I think it was at, uh, Piedmont. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. um, I've kind of seen it in like all of its, you know, evolution, but, but that's like a perfect representation of how you celebrate something yeah. in the summer, you know, yeah. what better than tomato? I mean, dude, I love tomatoes. I grow Cherokee purples in oh, my little great. garden that I have. So, great. um, but, uh, but that's a really great festival that actually benefits, um, that hard work as I think is the best way yeah. to put it. But, um, how many years has it been now? 
This year will be 11. Wow. So, uh, you know, really how it started was um, Nicholas from Crystal Organic Farms. I saw him at, uh, I was doing a demo at the Morningside uh, Farmer's Market one day, and he showed, he, he pointed at this stack of, uh, you know, just pallets of tomatoes. He's like, he says, I'm pretty much giving these away because I have so many tomatoes. I'm overgrown with tomatoes, and I just, I can barely, I said, I'll, I'll sell them to a dollar a pound versus three to five dollars a oh, pound, wow. something like that. And I'm like, that's a problem, you know? I mean, I, I said, um, why not? Because I've always wanted to do a festival. And I remember growing up, there was that movie, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. And <laughs> and I just kind of saw we're just overgrown with tomatoes. I'm like, well, let's just throw a festival that we buy all the, we buy. We don't ask for donations. We buy um, the, the tomatoes from the farmers and we highlight the farmer where we got them from. And we blow through, I mean, literally we blow through, there was a couple, there was a few years there where, where farmers weren't really, it took them a while to kind of catch up and think like, okay, wait a minute, they really are going to buy thousands of pounds of tomatoes. So we're going to grow a bunch of them. So, cause there were some years where, you know, rest, we, we would go through all the tomatoes and we'd have to find farmers in Alabama, you know, and out of town chefs to bring their tomatoes from their state. And, um, so that's kind of where it's grown to, but, uh, it's kind of, it, it's kind of for my idea was like, all right, let's, this is a day that, you know, we always have these, you know, one of my favorite days of the year for me is when business wise or, or work wise is, is our, our annual company party where, um, I get to see everybody come together in their own kind of way and dressed how they normally do. And they're just so diverse and, and I see them happy and they come up to me and they just, I don't know. I mean, they're just so happy. I'm like, this is, this is the most gratifying day ever. And then I think about like a farmer and he like, they don't, they're never celebrated. You know, when, when can we celebrate them? So, so let's celebrate them with this tomato fest. Let's buy their tomatoes. Let's give them a day where they can come and drink and, you know, just let yeah. loose and have fun, <laughs> you know? And so to me, that's about them. It's about, we can't do what, you know, with food, what we want to do without them. So yeah. that that's our day of saying thank you to them and um, celebrating them. Yeah. I look forward to it every year. It's, yeah. it's where I get to see people's imagination and tomatoes. Yeah. I mean, there's <laughs> <come together>. incredible <laughs> stuff, you know, yeah. um, that, that chefs come up with and the, you know, bartenders come up with as tomato yeah. cocktails. I mean, you probably won't see a Bloody Mary, but you'll see some really crazy cocktails that are that are really cool yeah someone had used like a, a centrifuge and they had like extracted the tomato water but it was like completely clear yeah yeah and they had made like they're like try this and i was like what and like okay and i was like why does it taste like tomato yeah <laughs> i was like what is going on it's super yeah. fun it's yeah. super fun I, th- awesome. I, I do think it's it's really cool to see people's minds just kind of like go off and um it's like you're never gonna experience a tomato like this yeah but, yeah um but the the only bonus question that I have for you is um because this has some things to do with like Attack the Killer Tomato Festival and also I think probably plenty of people know about it but talk to me about your band. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah yeah. So so you know I don't know you know so, so to me you know, being a chef, or you know, you 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 end up meeting a lot of musicians because musicians and chefs are kind of, we really are very similar people. And um, so it started a long time ago as just a t- solid group of chefs, you know, in, in this band. And then what got to be it got difficult because um, you know some people were a little bit more free than others, and we had to practice at midnight. And it was like, oh my god, this is just getting grueling. And um, so now what happens is I kind of decide like just for the tomato fest, for sure. Um, you know, try to find some chefs, um, and some professionals 
and come together and do a certain genre or do a certain band where we've done Led Zeppelin before we, and we just make up a name, you know, like chef Zeppelin or something, or (laughs) we did an REM, uh, tribute one time and when we, and, uh, we've done the, we've done what the who and the Rolling Stones. And this time, um, I'm getting together with the guys that would do the REM band. And, uh, you know, one of them owns farm to ladle, um, Jeff. So, um, I asked him, I said, Jeff, I said, I want to do, because I know his drummer said, hey, Ford, if you ever want to do a Foo Fighters tribute, I want to do it, you know? I'm like, okay. So I called Jeff, and I'm like, hey, Jeff, I need someone who can scream and sing like uh, Dave Grohl. <laughs> and he's like, wow, let me think about it, you know? And then he called me back like an hour later. I think I can do it. I'm going to do it, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So so we got together. So we're called the Foo apostrophe D food fighters food fighters so yes. we're gonna do like a nine song uh food fighter set so bring your earplugs because it's gonna be loud yeah. and jumping around yeah. so another and like, this is so perfect for you because much like other things you know like it's all about the name it's all about yeah. the name yeah, i yeah, love yeah, it yeah. <laughs> i'm yeah. looking forward to it man it's gonna be super fun um but man i think we've like covered pretty much everything end to end man you have an amazing story and um, I love so much of, of your restaurants and I hope one day I get a chance to, I'm actually lived in Charlotte for about five years. So I'm yeah. a, whenever I get up there, it'll be really fun to, to go to Super Rica, but hopefully I make it to Texas and yeah. you know, I have this, um, this dopey thing on the, on the, on the podcast where I say, you know, I, all of my guests, like these are people who are making Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. And, um, I, I think, you know, in so many ways you've, you've, done that through amazing teams and restaurants and places throughout the city and um i think a lot of people would you know just uh, agree and it's um you've done a lot to really add to making atlanta such a a great city to be an eater that's good to hear yeah (laughs) so um but ford fry thank you for being on the show thanks for having me yeah see you Many thanks to Ford Fry for joining me for this episode. And if you haven't been to one of his restaurants here in Atlanta or anywhere else, here's a quick tip. Pick one. Pick any of them. Each experience is always stellar and the array of dining options is incredibly diverse. So head over to FordFry.com to learn more about each one. And also, if you want to score tickets for Attack of the Killer Tomato Festival, which is happening on July 14th, head over to KillerTomatoFest.com for all of the details. It's always a blast, and all of the proceeds actually benefit our friends over at Georgia Organics, who support the Georgia farmers who feed all of us. So check out the episode page for some more information on Georgia Organics and the festival. This podcast is recorded all over our beautiful city and edited over on the east side of town by me, your host. Hello again. Our design is headed up by JJ Getz. And if you like what you hear, you can support the show right now on Patreon for just $5 a month. I'm your host, Ben Getz, and you've been listening to The Atlanta Foodcast. Stay hungry.